When Stanley surprises the girls with not only a visit, but the news that he's getting hitched, they are all, at least at first, supportive of his third trip down the aisle. But when Sophia has a health scare and Stan steps up, Dorothy's feelings change. It's not that she doesn't want him to get married, it's that she wants him to be with her. Will Dorothy disrupt Stan's nuptials? Will Stan reciprocate those feelings? Will we ever find out why Jerry ditched Blanche? All of that and more in today's episode, Stan Takes a Wife. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our things. No matter the misters that come and go. It's a lovely evening when we find Rose in my favorite airplane sweater and Dorothy in my favorite take-your-teacher-to-prom outfit of an oversized white blouse covered by a tux-inspired low-buttoned vest, and she's clearing dishes from the kitchen table. Before we can learn anything about their meal, Ellen has burst in from the back door. The last few years have been, well, sometimes not so easy, but that's all over now. And so from now on, we're going to have nothing but good times. Apologies. That was a fuming Blanche who, in a two-piece purple suit over a fuchsia shirt, has beelined for the ice cream. Confused by her presence, Rose asks why she isn't out on her date with Jerry. Well, when they got to the movie theater, he let her out while he parked. Except he didn't park. He just drove off. For Rose, that sounds like she's been stood up. Blanche doesn't want to hear anything about being ditched unless it's from an expert, which is why she's asked Dorothy, did I get ditched? Coco, have you ever been stood up on a date or ghosted or anything Hmm. in that realm? There was a young lady that I wrote a letter to and gave to her. Like school age? No, this (gasps) is like 19, 18, 19 maybe. Okay. And uh, she never responded in any way did the letters profess your feelings yeah yeah oh like, let's try gosh. let's give this a shot and i never heard a word <gasps> and you're certain she got it 100 percent. oh that's an ouchie and i can tell you that because of an of acquaintance or a friend of hers that i ended up knowing was like um i told her about it about this letter and she was like oh my god that was you <gasps> And she had heard this letter and they had like laughed about it. No. Yeah. That girl is a. Yeah. That sucked. Somebody writes you a letter like that and you're going to laugh about it with your friends. That's not cool. Desiree. Oh, Desiree. What was I thinking? What a waste of energy on you, Desiree. Boo. Boo. Oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. That's, that's like, right. that's being stood up and being bullied. But it was like years apart. I didn't know about the bullying until much later. 
<laughs> that was cool. It actually, in the moment, it was. It still, and it is now. It's very funny, and it was. It was very funny then too. It was like mortifying a bit, but then right. I was also like, "That is so funny to find out that way." She was like, "That was you." <laughs> Sadly, Dorothy confirms her fears, but she puts a positive spin on it using the example of Sonny Bono, who, at the time of this episode, had just become the mayor of Palm Springs in California. By the late 80s, Sonny was best known for being Cher's ex-husband, and yes, he was ditched, as in Cher was the one that filed the paperwork. According to CheatSheet.com, not only was there a huge age gap between the couple, Sonny was a divorced 28-year-old, and she was just... 16 when they met. But Cher would go on to claim that the two only had a friendship for years as Sonny wasn't attracted to her. Don't jerk me around. I'm not in the mood. I'm just going to let everyone sit with that for a moment. Sonny, can we all picture Sonny? I'm not saying anything about Sonny's face, but excuse you? False. False. A stunner. And in every makes, way. And that makes me curious, not to say that you only have plastic surgery if you have self-esteem issues yeah. or anything like that. But it makes me wonder, you know, she had those iconic teeth that were like, they were all on different pages. And I loved that. And she definitely had more of her Native American features. And those have all been slimmed down. But if you're 16 and you have this crush on this doofy dude and... He's telling you he's not attracted to you. I I would think that would have an effect, especially at that age. On one's self-esteem? Yeah. Certainly. And how you how you thought of your own looks? If if he had been someone else and was like, "Oh my god, you're the most gorgeous person I've ever seen." It's funny. I don't think about plastic surgery when I think about Cher. I just don't even it doesn't oh, even funny. cross my mind. I I think it's maybe cuz she's sort of maybe kind of synonymous with it. Yeah, you know, kind of who she is. Yeah, and it's I iconic, guess. and she carries it well. And I guess like I said, is, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But it does make me wonder, like, that had to have had an effect on her self-esteem in general. Taking plastic hits su- like that when yeah, you're a plastic teenager? surgery or not, like, just a 28 year old man being like, no thanks. Yeah, and he's kind of a goblin too. So you're like, that's Wait, what, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, you you are one to talk. What? Speaking of goblin, he starred in the movie Troll. It scared me when I was a child. <laughs> That's great. And um, what year did that come out? I want to say 86 or 87. Oh, so this is like right before his mayoral takeover of Palm Springs. Oh, it's an awful, awful film. Troll 2 is like the famously like worst, best worst movie. And Troll is just like an awful, it would make me ill. As the couple performed on stage more frequently, they soon started dating and they eventually wed. During their marriage, though, especially as they became more and more famous, Sonny just couldn't keep it in his pants, and his infidelity was just too much for Cher to deal with. I did not know that. Me neither. Who does he think he is? That is Cher. You are Sonny and Cher, and I'm sorry. I know it's on the guy because he's the one in the relationship, but any woman would have known that he was famous for being Sonny and Cher, being married to Cher. So, like, come on, gals. Let's support other women, not sleep with their husbands. That's all I'm saying. It seems that finally Blanche's inevitable doom has come. She's lost it. The it she's referring to is more of a charm, a desirability, an attraction. But for Sophia, who has just come in at the perfect moment in her yellow robe, 
only hearing the lost it part, so she adds, in more back seats than anyone I know. It turns out Sophia is extra snarky because she's been under the weather. Dorothy inquires about how she's feeling and throws in how horrible she looks. Well, in that case, she figures she won't be able to join the girls on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's funny that she, the 83-ish year old, would make a joke like that when just very recently the newest Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition came out and on the cover is 81-year-old Martha Stewart. Sophia, you could have been a contender. In the mid-1960s, Babette Marks was the highest-paid model in the world, supposedly earning $85,000 a year. I mean, that kind of money now would be nice, but in today's dollars, that would be equivalent to about $820,000. She would end up being the first model on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. In 1988, it was the timeless Elle McPherson. And just one month after this episode aired, the magazine would feature Queen Kathy Ireland. Now that Sophia has been sick with a mystery ailment for over a week now, the girls are worried about her. She isn't doing as the doctor said, so she is continuing to feel bad. For Dorothy, this has been going on long enough, so if Sophia doesn't get herself on the right track, Dorothy's going to do my favorite thing. She's going to call the doctor and tattle. That isn't much of a threat to Sophia, though. Okay, so tell the doctor. What kind of punishment could he possibly inflict? Coming to the house to give her a spanking? Not pulling away from her ice cream as she's still distraught from being ditched, Blanche asks that if that is what the doctor will be doing, that they have him swing by her room while he's there. Surprised to hear a doorbell at that hour, the girls are befuddled as to who could be there. Thinking it might be Jerry the Ditcher, Blanche takes the lead in the parade to the living room. If he had the nerve to go to the house, well, she would give him a real what for. Instead of her date being at the door, it's Stan, this time rug-free. After introducing himself, he apologizes for the late-night intrusion, but he had to tell the girls his exciting news. And no, Sophia, it's not because he's dating someone over 12. I get that that's because his last lady was so young, but you. He's actually there to announce he's getting married to a gal that he met at the post office. Blanche is still too upset to care, but Dorothy is surprisingly delighted. Stan's new lady Catherine isn't bald, but he claims that they do have a lot in common. Instead of saying what those things are, he then shares how the relationship has turned him into a romantic. Soon after he met her, he found himself sending her notes and flowers just because. Where he got the money to do so, we may never know. His inspiration for those gestures came from a psychologist book written by, as he puts it, some dame. The love quickly blossomed between them, and they've decided to get married. It has all been such a whirlwind that Stan is only giving the girls a week's notice before the nuptials. He hopes to see them, and his children, whom he's invited, all at the wedding. Even though they are seven days away from getting married, Stan is going to Catherine's that night to give her a ring that, in Sophia's opinion, looks cheaper than Lisa Bonet's nose ring. Lisa Bonet was so famous for playing the daughter on that bad guy show before spinning off to her own sitcom, A Different World, that she actually appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone in 1988. While doing so, she shocked the nation by wearing only a white see-through blouse and a nose ring. <laughs> Amazingly, her daughter Zoe said, hold my beer, mom, in 2018 and appeared with no nose piercing or blouse. 
If you have a pierced nose as I do, you can find cheap jewelry online like where I get most of mine on Etsy. There you can also find cheap natural diamond engagement rings, Coco. Hmm. (laughs) Dorothy attempts to be supportive, complimenting the ring, but when Stan asks if she really means that, she's a bit more honest, saying no, she didn't. Again, where did he get the money for a ring, even a tiny one, and why is he giving it to her right before the wedding? Taking matters and the ring into her own hands, Blanche gives it a look over. While Stan makes claims the diamond is real, Blanche is more concerned about where the diamond is. Okay, so it's small. And it's fake. But what matters is that Stan put a lot of thought into it. Okay, he didn't think about it at all, really. He just scooped it up because it was cheap, okay? Now can the man get back to giving his lady a crappy ring or what? Love and family make you do crazy things, like how Blanche and Rose offered to take Stanley ring shopping to find something more suitable for an adult woman. Offended, Stan argues that he has good taste. To prove it, they can ask Dorothy about the ring he bought her. With her soft, doting wife voice, she looks down to the ring and explains how lovely it is. Even though Stan was initially going to give her a bracelet, it wound up being the ring that he won in a claw machine game. The first claw machine, according to Neofuns.com, was inspired by the steam shovels that were used to build the Panama Canal in 1904. Fun fact. Whoa, that's cool. So they saw the steam shovels and someone was like, hey, let's make that a little game that no one can win. We'll put an iPhone in there that's impossible (laughs) to win. It'll be great. Yeah, I was a sucker for claw games. Oh, yeah? Did you ever win anything good? No. No. Uh, maybe a stuffed animal, but I don't play with those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Not since at least two years. <laughs> I do enjoy at Wonderland, our local arcade here in the Portland area. Spelled with a U. They have um, like ball pit balls in different claw machines and there's different colors. And they're actually really easy to get. And each color designates coupons or like tickets. And so I would play that. And for like 50 cents, if you got the red ball, you'd get like 200 tickets. And that was really fun and rewarding. I agree. I used to love acquiring tickets, even though the return rate on them is (laughs) terrible. With that review, Stan agrees to go out with the girls the following day to go shopping. Ring in hand or not, he does still need to get to Catherine's as he's making her dinner. Surprised, Dorothy laughs how he, in nearly 40 years of marriage, never made her a wonderful meal. Feeling sassy, he replies, neither did you. Ooh. Yep. (laughs) It is a new night, perhaps the night after Stan's visit. Sophia, wearing a purple dress under her yellow apron, is still under the weather and cooking meatballs in the kitchen when Dorothy, in her very late 80s sort of quilted shirt of teals, purples, and blues, is still wondering why her ill mother isn't resting. She doesn't need to rest when she has other things she can do to make her feel better, like cooking a meal. Well, that's not really what would make her feel better. What she wishes she could do would be to make love to someone, probably a marinara-covered sal, in a closet— But since that isn't on the table, her meatballs will have to suffice. Coming home from shopping is Rose in a pink jacket over a brightly colored dress and Blanche in a light gray dress with a fancy purple scarf on her shoulder. A girl after my own heart, Rose is already fretting about how expensive the ring was that they found. Blanche, on the other hand, is far from bothered. 
Besides, you can't put a price on love. While Rose goes on about the cost, Sophia reminds her that they didn't spend any money. Stan the Yutz did. And where the hell did this money come from? Taking Sophia's side, Blanche again tells Rose not to stress. Before the arguing about the money can go on, Sophia starts having a bit of a coughing fit. Dorothy quickly gets up and escorts her mother to a seat at the table. Queen of crisis intervention Rose is fairly unhelpful, of course. She has to ask Dorothy if she should get her water. Even while worrying about her mother, Dorothy finds the strength to be sassy and tells her not to worry about getting her water. They can just sit there and watch as Sophia dies from coughing. When Rose takes the joke seriously, Ellen shows up and barks at her to go get the water. Ellen barking cloak. Yeah. <laughs> we each have our own joy ceiling. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how perfect your family is or how many Pulitzers you win. You hit your joy ceiling and you're done. That's why Jesus wept. Low joy ceiling. Richard Simmons, high joy ceiling. It's not the pursuit of happiness that's our problem. It's our inability to accept when we have maxed out. Sorry, that was Dorothy, annoyed at her dear, sweet friend. Rose starts to get water, and Blanche steps in to call the doctor. Side note, if you are ever in an emergency situation and you find yourself in the leadership position, the first thing you need to do is find a person, look them in the eye, and tell them directly to call 911. When emergencies are happening, bystanders have a habit of assuming the other people around them are going to call for help, and then no one ends up calling. I've been lucky enough to be in several situations like this, and it's true. People freeze and stare. You got to give those directions. When Sophia says she's starting to have trouble breathing, the call to the doctor is changed to a call to the paramedics. Oh no, we're at the hospital. Since it's nighttime, I can't see the sign, but I can only assume it is Biscayne Hospital. Waiting to hear from the doctors, the girls have been left in a waiting room for over an hour. Dorothy is pacing, Rose is being optimistic, and Blanche is returning with some of those waxy cups full of water. Or maybe vodka. Who knows? It's Biscayne, baby, and they get freaky. Going down the line, we get an airing of grievances. Dorothy hates waiting. Blanche hates hospitals. And Rose hates it when the people in Love Connection get dumped. Love Connection was one of the first reality dating shows. It was also, for me, the most confusing show. Love Connection, with original host-turned-maga-trash Chuck Woolery, ran from September 1983 to 1994. It would eventually be rebooted twice more, including with host Andy Cohen, but nothing matched the magic of the 80s horny energy with the original. Coco, can we try to dissect what the premise was of the show? Like, did you ever watch Love Connection? I, I watched it a lot when I was a youngster, yes. With Chuck Woolery... We'll be back in two and two. Two and two. I loved Love Connection. I I was, oh, well, I was a little bit young, so I didn't watch it like religiously. It was just on like maybe at a cousin's or something. But I was always so confused because it's like people would choose some, they would meet people and then they'd go on a date, but they would come back later. Yeah, I feel that like the first date would happen Right. And then they yeah, show like, up. So, so basically they'd have do a like a postmortem on it. Right. Yeah. So they'd have the contestant, but the contestant would have three people. But I feel like part of the show was having that person choose that their date. Like they would talk for a while 
And so that was kind of the initial part, right? And then they would bring out someone else who had already been on it, like the second half. I don't know if they would talk or if it was like they would show video. Oh, I think yeah, they, they did have video, video things. Yeah. But I think they did questions too, almost kind of like the dating game. Yeah, that's I, that's what I'm thinking of as a dating game. I and don't then know they, they would choose someone, on... but then they would come back like weeks later. It would not be that same episode. It would be like way later. Yeah, but like the production time that it yeah. would take a few episodes. Yeah. So it was and they'd all, be like, was... oh, we went on a date. And it was always like, even as a kid, I was like, wait, you just met this person through this show and you're just meeting now? You're just going to go somewhere? That's never no. been a comfortable uh, premise for anything to go to a second location no. with a stranger. <laughs> to me, that sort of stuff made romance, relationships, all of those things seem so confusing. Mm. I just didn't understand. And I didn't understand. I, I hated the way people talked on those shows, oh, like on yeah. that, on like um, the worst show, Studs. Oh, my God. I forgot about Studs. <laughs> Which is like love connection with an erection. <laughs> <laughs> that was their tagline. <laughs> but all the forced, like, fake sexy talk. Oh, yeah. It's just so uncomfortable. It was just so 80s and early 90s of just kind of the big hair and big muscles on the guys. And so like, many double entendres. Yeah. Quadruple entendres. Yeah. Everything's sexual. Everything's like, look how hot I am. And I was like, I don't. He's gross. He's then, an awful Yeah. They dude. would ask them a question about like, what food would you want to eat off of someone? And they yeah. go into like a really elaborate thing about like licking a person for a long time. Yeah. Just daytime TV. Yeah. And Chuck Woolery always made me feel weird and uncomfortable. Because he was so, he was such a good listener. He's a, well, I would say a good leerer. He was leering. Yeah. That's how it came off. Yeah. But he oh, was yeah, like being date. so engaged. Oh, and then you went in her car. <laughs> yeah. He was always like, give me the deets. Yeah. Your dirty uncle wanting the deets of your dates. Well, let's hear some examples. You also said you don't you you buy something for women better than flowers. What is that? Garter belts and lingerie. We sat in the cocktail lounge to our table was ready and had a, a glass of wine. And I was just looking at her legs, just going, man, I'd sure like to rub those legs. <laughs> I got ready for the, the beach by just taking my high heels and stockings out and putting some low sandals on. And then that's when he told me he wanted to lick my leg. And he goes, yeah, what do you look like? And I said, the first thing you'll notice about me is my bust. And I said that straight out because that's what most people notice about me. Yeah, she wasn't lying about that. <laughs> Yeah. How'd she look to you? She looked like a total bombshell, you know. I first saw her. Most of all, she had a tank top on that was showing off her cleavage. She had a real, real nice beer chest. <laughs> you know, the kind that looked like they'd been filled with like a couple of kegs of beers, you know, like real big. <laughs> we went back to my place and pretty much in two and two, we were going to it. Well, Robin, yeah. what did you think? When I saw him, oh, I thought he was so fine and he was just Gorgeous, the man of my dreams. Not <laughs> true. Part of it's true. I was not showing him off. I was making sure everyone knew that I didn't choose this guy. <laughs> well, if I have to describe Kurt, the one word I could not use would be gentleman. Uh, he was a slob. He threw away a yogurt container in my car. He stuffed it in between the door and the seat, and it got yogurt all over my car. Kurt, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, unsophisticated or unintelligent as you think this woman is, she seems to have a razor edge to her mind. <laughs> How does this date end? She chose not to use it uh, on the date. Unexpectedly, Stan comes into the room. He had gone by the house as he, too, was stressed about the cost of that ring. And when he was there, a neighbor told him what was going on with Sophia. So he got to the hospital as quickly as he could. 
He would like to know how Sophia is. Well, so would the girls. Right on cue, the doctor comes in and Dorothy asks as to her well-being. Playing Dr. Seymour is Tom Tarpey. In his nearly 20-year career, Tom Tarpey earned 34 acting credits, some of which were for 30-something, Matlock, Murder, She Wrote, Amen, Dallas, The Manhattan Project, New Heart, Hill Street Blues, Falcon Crest, St. Elsewhere, Heart to Heart, 9 to 5, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, MASH, Lou Grant, and One Day at a Time. At first, it was thought Sophia just had a virus. Now things have gotten serious and it has turned into pneumonia, which at her age and level of fragility could be very dangerous. Some of the most common viruses that lead to pneumonia are the cold and flu. The doctor doesn't say straight out that Sophia could die, but when Dorothy asks about that being a possibility, he makes it clear that things are not looking good. He recommends that the girls go home and rest, but Dorothy can't. She wants to wait. At first, the girls offer to stay. Expressing her needs like a boss, Dorothy asks them to go as she would rather be alone. They accept that, but before leaving, Rose asks for, and gets, a group hug. One that Stan takes advantage of, and even though he is to be wed in about six days, he cops a feel on Dorothy's booty. Everyone had left, and Dorothy is gazing out the waiting room window when Stan returns. He plays it off at first that he was just in the neighborhood, then he confesses. He's so worried about Sophia that he had to come and see how she was. Unfortunately, Dorothy hasn't talked to a doctor in hours, so she can't give him an update. This has Stan heated, and he's going to get some answers. Finding an orderly that most likely has nothing to do with Sophia's care, Stan puts his finger in his face and demands to know what's going on. Playing the orderly is Wayne Cho, who earned 11 credits in eight years, appearing in The Next Karate Kid, Dallas, Return to Green Acres, and Lip Service. With a very thick accent, the man says that the bathroom is down the hall. As Stan persists, the kid's accent gets even thicker when he says that the cafeteria is closed. When Stan pulls out some cash and demands to see a doctor, the accent is dropped and the orderly happily goes to find him help. Dorothy is moved by Stan's persistence and surprised by how much he cares for Sophia. He can't help it, though. Even if he was told how bad of a husband and father he was for 40 years, it's hard to not care. Ugh, what a yutz. Playing out the worst-case scenario, Dorothy asks what they're going to do if Sophia doesn't make it. But Stan won't let that reality exist, so he shifts her attention to the meal he brought of her favorite food. Though she's never said it, I would have assumed, perhaps by default, that Dorothy's favorite food was Italian. Instead, she's giddy when she thinks he has brought her Chinese. It is a bit offensive that he did actually bring her Italian. I mean, her Italian mother who cooks all of the Italian food is possibly on her deathbed. Chinese food could have at least been a good distraction. Not to mention, there is no way this stuff in a foil bowl is going to taste even close to as good as her mother's cooking. Before they can dig in, Stan's investment in the orderly has paid off and another doctor is coming to talk to them. Needing some work on his bedside manner is the young doctor working the night shift. He is quite annoyed to have been drugged into the waiting room to talk to these impatient family members. With a nasty attitude, he tells the pair that he will come back to talk to them if there has been any change. Playing the young doctor is Doug Franklin, who most recently appeared in Karen with a C, a web series. Prior to that, he appeared in Santa Barbara, Sisters, Dallas, Days of Our Lives, Columbo, among 11 other credits. Pissed at the tood the doctor is giving, Stan does something we've never seen him do. He stands up for himself and Dorothy. 
Meeting the doc at his level, Stan demands that someone come into the room every hour with whatever information they have. Stan's dominance put the kid in his place, and he checks himself. Nearly shaking, he apologizes and assures them that someone will be checking in more often. This reaction by Stan causes another reaction by Dorothy. It's hard for her to believe, but Stan has a spine. Getting back to the meal, Dorothy starts to think about her ma's lasagna. She's never been able to make it quite the same as she does. Sophia always said it was because she didn't take the time to sing to it. See, this is what I was talking about, Stan. You can't bring Italian food to a grieving Italian daughter whose Italian mother is in the hospital. Dorothy can't even get a bite on her fork before she breaks down, thinking about her mother's opera singing or Nat King Cole singing if it's the holidays. With his arms around Dorothy, Stan comforts her and retracts his nasty statement from the night before and tells her he's always loved her lasagna. Holding each other closer, Dorothy accuses him of flattery, and it's working. They nearly kiss before they just lean back into the couch and each other's arms. The sad transition music is playing as we watch the light in the window change with some real TV magic. The Zbornax fell asleep on the couch and didn't move or eat their dinner, the good news is that they've made it back to the morning shift with the nicer doctor. Even better is the news that the doctor feels Sophia will be just fine. Dorothy is so relieved and happy she can't wait to go see her ma. She invites Stan, but he knows it should just be her and Sophia together. Before she runs off, Dorothy stops to thank Stan for staying with her and comforting her. He shrugs it off, but she takes a moment to look at him and really appreciate how involved and protective he was through one of her most difficult nights. Finding her mother asleep in the bed, Dorothy doesn't wake her. She nearly laugh cries while leaning in for a kiss on the head. But before that kiss can land, she scares Sophia nearly to death. Not because of being startled awake, but because she isn't wearing any makeup, and she should be in case there's a hot doctor who can take care of her, or at least be a friend with benefits. We'll give Sophia the benefit of the doubt here. She had nearly died the night before, she's pumped full of meds, and she's not wearing her glasses. So perhaps she can't see that Dorothy has plenty of makeup on. Okay, side tangent here with Coco. There is a painting or a print of a painting on the wall behind Dorothy when she walks into the hospital room. And it appears to be a, you know, a harbor at the California coast. There's a sailboat, a mountain, a palm tree. It's very simple, very pastel 80s. And it caught Coco's attention for multiple reasons. Coco, please share. I saw it on the wall and I shrieked. You did. Because I've seen that painting now in The Golden Girls. I've also seen it in a scene in a hospital in The Usual Suspects. There's a scene where one of the Hungarian guys in that movie is screaming the name Kaiser Soze. And behind one of the other characters, you can see this painting. So there's a hospital-themed painting, It's very bland, very boring. (laughs) And I grew up with it in my mom's house, in her condo above the fireplace, that exact painting. I swear I will find a photo of (laughs) of me behind, in front of that photo. Oh, please do. Uh, I feel like there's one of me and my sister sitting on the carpet in front of the fireplace. Oh, that would be amazing. Like doing like a a jokey, cheesy Christmas pose and it's behind us. So, but it's, it, it took my breath away. My mom got rid of it. And I was so bummed because like it's a it's front it's a movie prop. It's in so many things. Yeah. 
but she got rid of it. Like I know Home Goods wasn't necessarily around, but maybe there was like a, oh, a store like that. Pier One Imports or something for yeah. sure is where my mom went and got it. I yeah, feel so of this. I bet. And then she needs wicker and some some boring paintings. <laughs> and then Usual Suspects was probably filmed in L.A. I yeah, like Long Beach, I think. Yeah, yeah, and then Golden Girls was L.A. So they're set people. Yeah. probably went to those stores and you were in Burbank. So that's like where things are filmed. Yeah. And so that's really funny that set designers and your mom probably all went to the same spot and mm-hmm. were like, yeah, that's nice and hospitally. It's one of the only sitcommy things about my life. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you watch mom and then it's a little bit like that. no one got help (laughs) i'm going crazy yeah i think that's called a mental breakdown yeah break through baby break through and growth and health and healing it's all good Sophia isn't the least bit surprised to hear that she's survived this ordeal. She's lived through some of the hardest times imaginable there have been pandemics world wars the depression and she survived it all most impressively she has currently survived two of what would go on to be seven seasons of the Southern-based CBS version of the Golden Girls, Designing Women. On their way to work, Rose in her all-green peplum and shoulder-padded to the gods skirt suit that would look awkwardly fancy in today's world, and Blanche in an equally fancy blue and black ensemble have stopped in to check on Sophia. Hearing the good news that she was going to be okay, they were able to come into the room and say hi. Already back to being the mothering daughter, Dorothy shares that not only is she okay, but she will be following doctor's orders when she gets home. Checking in on her friend, Rose asks how Dorothy's holding up after such a stressful night of worrying all alone. Oh, except she wasn't. Stan was there to feed her, to hold her, and to show her that special part of himself. Dorothy, of course, meant that part of him that shows love and compassion— Rose, with eyes wide, thinks that he's shown off a different part of himself, a part that, had he been caught in the waiting room showing, he would have been arrested for indecent exposure. As Dorothy clarifies he didn't whip out his little Stanley, Blanche holds Rose's shoulders to comfort her as sort of a physical expression of, bless your heart. What Stan showed Dorothy was that he dyes his ear hair, Sophia asks. No, Dorothy noticed that long ago. What she realized that night was that she is still in love with Stan and she can't let him get married to anyone else. After barely surviving the night, Sophia isn't sure that she's going to survive hearing this horrible news. Everyone is back at the house and Dorothy, in a bright blue pajama and robe set, is putting the kettle on while she does laundry. Leaving the kitchen, she goes into the mystery hallway. At the same time, Rose and Blanche are coming into the kitchen, with Rose in a light blue robe leading the way. Annoyed, Blanche pulls Rose's arm off of her lavender nightie and sheer cover. She can't let Rose pull on her because the nightie only has one good tug left before it falls to pieces, and she's saving that moment for Henry Barnesworth. Rose doesn't care about the outfit. She cares that they find a place to talk where Dorothy won't hear them. What she has failed to do, though, was to find out where Dorothy was to make sure they weren't near her. Instead, they are now all in the kitchen together. This isn't ideal, as Rose is concerned about Dorothy's plan to get in between Stan and Catherine's wedding. She can't break them up. It's selfish. It's immature. It'll ruin their honeymoon. In fact, she thinks Dorothy is being a goober. 
I think most Americans hear goober and think of like a booger, but actually goober means peanut. And it originated from the Congo and Kimbundo languages with the term ingumba. Fun fact, we can still call each other goobers. It's nice to look it up and not be like, oh, it's actually a horrible term and should never be said by anyone ever again because of its usually racist undertones. Yeah. So it's nice that this is from an African word for peanut, which was in guba, and then became probably guba, and then goober. And that's awesome. Unaware Dorothy has come back from the secret cubby and is now listening in, Rose continues with the name calling. Like a scene out of a cartoon or the scene with Father Frank, Blanche is trying to get Rose's attention to stop her. Each Rose is ignored and she just goes on, even saying that she would say all of these things right to Dorothy's face. If she stood on a chair first to help her make that happen, Dorothy then slides a chair behind Rose, who cannot bring herself to turn around and look at Dorothy. So she asks Blanche if that's her behind her before running to Blanche for cover. Dorothy is obviously pissed and is really channeling her grandmother's looks here. Being a good friend to both the girls, Blanche intervenes. She tells Dorothy she cannot be mad at Rose because she is only saying how she feels, which is that Miami has so much appeal. Wait, wrong episode. (laughs) Miami, Miami, That's right. right. Good job. Thank you. Salami. Blanche is right, though. Rose is just saying her feelings, and that's okay, even if they hurt Dorothy's. This defense has Dorothy wondering if Blanche feels the same way Rose does, that she is being a goober. The answer is, well, yeah, kinda. He's your ex-husband because he not only left you, but he didn't tell you he was leaving. And he was leaving you for another woman, and he ended up marrying her, even though she was much younger, and it happened just a week after their divorce. On top of all of that, and the unmentioned affairs he has since admitted to, he isn't even good-looking. So for Blanche, it is totally unforgivable. That's the thing about love, though. For whatever reason, we seem to always be able to overlook the things that we would kill our friend for putting up with from a partner. Love always seems to find a reason to offer one more chance. Love doesn't even care about looks, tight bodies, or hair pieces that look like monkeys' butts. And love is what Dorothy is feeling for Stan. What Blanche can't understand is why, after all of these, not just the last few years post-breakup, which were very tumultuous, but the nearly 40 years they were together, and knowing how flat-out crappy the guy is, why now is Dorothy having these feelings? Well, she actually has Sophia to thank. Because of that night in the hospital where Stan showed off his maturity, his masculinity, his special little part of himself, Dorothy feels differently. She knows now he's capable of all of the things he seemingly wasn't for four decades. He's different. I've been there. We've all been there. You've probably, well, you've probably not been there. No. (laughs) Were you ever the guy? Were you ever the, he's different now? Or was it just? I probably was. I wasn't aware of those conversations, but I'm sure there were. Mm. Where, oh no, he's doing, he's doing better. (laughs) He's doing better. I wasn't. Blanche then makes a very important and valid point. That night, Dorothy was in crisis. Because of that vulnerability, it wouldn't have taken much for Stan to do for Dorothy to feel loved and protected. Rose is finally able to use some of her crisis training here to back up Blanche's theory that when you're in crisis, you might make unexpected choices. For example, Mrs. Pulaski, 
When her mother died, she reacted with what some might call a midlife crisis. She lost some weight, dyed her hair, ran away to Paris with her artist lover, leaving her husband in the dirt. Hearing how wonderful all of that sounds, rendering their point moot, Blanche adds her own take, saying that that woman must be miserable now and, and she hates Paris. Well, no, Rose says. They actually just bought a home in Cannes. Okay, that's maybe not the best way to prove her point, but it did prove Dorothy's. But Blanche has yet another counterpoint. What makes Dorothy so sure that if she presents these feelings to Stan, or even asks him to break up the engagement, a relationship with Dorothy is what he wants? Deep down, Dorothy knows, because of how Stan acted and looked at her that night, that he certainly does feel the same. Yet another point to be made by Blanche. If he is so in love with you, why hasn't he called off the wedding? Why hasn't he called you? Simple. He can't do that without knowing how Dorothy feels. Saying she needs to be the one to make the first move, Rose is starting to appreciate Dorothy's arguments and is taking her side. Thanks to this productive conversation, Dorothy has decided she is going to find Stan on his wedding day, which just happens to be tomorrow, and she's going to confess her love for him. Looking for someone to blame, Blanche decides it's all Rose's fault that Dorothy's going to do exactly what they didn't want her to do. This must be a bit of a habit of Rose's, hence why she was no longer allowed to take the suicide calls from the hotline. That's sort of funny, but a little bit of an oh boy, you know, because she didn't do a good job. You can't say that. Thankfully, there is now a national suicide hotline that is much easier to remember, 988. So if you or someone you love is suffering from emotional distress or suicidal crises, you can call at any time. They are available 24 hours a day. They offer multiple languages. And calling 988 will connect you with a trained counselor, not Rose. Ooh, we are at a stunning new location. It's a hotel, I think. In his very nice suite, with no one else there to help him get ready, Stan is prepped for the wedding. Who is paying for this hotel? Why doesn't he have any friends? Well, I guess we know that one. You're a dirtbag! He's surprised to see Dorothy in her purple-sleeved green chest and skirted dress. She may have worn this on another nuptial occasion, but I can't recall exactly. I do know we've seen it before, maybe on several occasions. With a nervous laugh, Stan lets her in and asks if he looks like a guy who's ready to get wed for a third time. Getting her flirt on right away, Dorothy asks if Stan has lost some weight. Well, only via the optical illusion of his girdle. Sadly, Sophia is still recovering from pneumonia, so she won't be joining in the festivities. However, she did send some Ziploc bags for Dorothy to bring home some grub. Going back to the girdle, Dorothy asks about it, seeming unsure she had heard him correctly. He is actually in a girdle and shoulder pads, and one of his nicer hair pieces. As Dorothy starts her prepared speech, there is another knock at the door. Rose in a multiple shades of blue peplum blouse and skirt outfit, and Blanche in a pant, jacket, and blouse combo of all velvet and purple are there to save the day. The wedding is still on, meaning Dorothy hadn't had a chance to screw it up yet. As the girls attempt to physically remove her from the room, Dorothy demands to get something off her chest. So Rose helps her by ripping off her boutonniere and violently throwing it down. Not concerned with their odd behavior, Stan excuses himself to go adjust his girdle. Rose asks about said girdle. Dorothy adds in the bonus of the shoulder pads, and Blanche assumes that, on top of that, he probably has a sock in his pants. This burn would have normally earned a laugh or at least a nod from Dorothy, but now that she's back in love with Stan, it earns Blanche a look. 
a very stern look. Now Dorothy wants to know why they're even there, because they have to stop her from what she's going to do, because it's so foolish. All adjusted into place, Dan is back and wondering what Dorothy would be foolish about. Jumping in before Dorothy can, Blanche says, it's just how emotional Dorothy gets at weddings. She starts crying, her makeup is running everywhere, it disgusts the guests to the point that they don't want cake, you know, the huge. Dorothy doesn't care. She doesn't care what the girls think, and she doesn't even care if they're there as she makes her confession. In a panic to stop her, Blanche knocks on the wood wall before hollering that Dorothy should go get the door. The only problem with this plan is that Rose was closer to the door. In a very quick, very heated argument, Rose tries to get to the door while Blanche demands that it's Dorothy who answers it. It takes a physical attack of Blanche kicking Rose's ankle for the discussion to end. Finally getting Dorothy to the door, Blanche sees her opportunity and with a delightful little kickback, she pushes on Dorothy's back, sending her out of the room and she slams the door behind her. Turning around to see Stan watching on, she says that Dorothy just stepped out for some air. But if that's the case, then why is she knocking to come back in? Needing to distract Stan, Rose actually has a good idea and points to his jacket, saying it looks like a button might be coming off. And with a swift rip of the threads, the button does indeed come off the jacket. Pushing Stan back into the bathroom, she claims that she'll help him get it reattached. Finally, the two of them were separated and the girls were feeling relieved. Giving up on talking to Stan, perhaps deciding on waiting until the objection option of the ceremony, Dorothy found her way to the bar and is having some drinks. Coco, have you ever been maybe lucky enough to witness an objection at a wedding? Oh, no, no. Or I a would... runaway bride or a... No, I that would have... That would be, I mean, awful, but also pretty exciting. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, I would think, too, like, I mean, if that happens, some, some There's stuff something. is happening yeah. here. There's some stuff going on under the surface, <laughs> and I want to know about it. I actually would probably start my own investigation during, I don't know if we'd still have the reception. Yeah, what do you through. do? But well, uh, I definitely have some questions for it's some It's already folks. paid for, so you might as well go have a good party. Eat, I mean, I'm if I've been invited and I'm there, I'm sticking around and eating at least. Yeah. If, as, unless the food snooping. sucks. Oh, I got to snoop. I got to do some ear hustling and kind of hear what's, <laughs> what the, the goss is. Ear hustling. Yeah, for sure. When Dorothy orders another round, the bartender denies it because she has already had three. She doesn't care. It's her life and she's going to have more. She doesn't care if she even gets sick. Giving in, the bartender gives her what she wants. A fourth basket of popcorn. This was Coco's favorite moment of the episode. It was... Just a great joke and a great reveal of that little, little greasy basket of popcorn. Because <laughs> you do think at first, like, oh, wow, she went down and got bleep faced to deal with all of this. And she's kind of belligerent in her asking, like, give me another. I yeah, don't she's, care. She's past reason. Yeah. She just doesn't care. But that bartender was cool because he was just looking out for her popcorn tummy, which is terrible. We all had. You go see... A, a big two and a half hour long movie. Yeah, you forget. I've probably been chewing on popcorn for the whole time. You get crazy on that popcorn. The movie ends and your stomach goes, you think you're going to make it home? I dare you. And then you're in a race. Well, speaking of that bartender that you liked so much, his name was actually Freeman King. And he first started acting in 1970. He appeared in the Sonny and Cher comedy hour. Ooh. Double. Don't jerk me around. I'm not in the mood. 
Sanford and Sons, Starsky and Hutch, The Incredible Hulk, What's Happening, Eight is Enough, TJ Hooker, Fletch, Moonlighting, Hill Street Blues, Perfect Strangers, Life Goes On, and Dangerous Curves. As Dorothy enjoys her treat, a beautiful woman in a white dress scampers in and takes a seat next to her at the bar. When the bartender tries to take her order, she asks for some self-confidence. Ah, the bartender quickly realizes that, like the very popular sitcom Cheers, which at that time had already been on for seven years, this woman wants some fun, chatty bartender she can vent her problems to and get advice from. Well, this ain't that kind of bar. Fun fact, Cheers would have one more season after the end of the Golden Girls. That's a lot of seasons. Disappointed the bartender didn't give her the shoulder she was seeking, the woman is distraught. Dorothy's helper senses are tingling, so she checks in on her. The woman is okay. She's just nervous. She's getting married in just a few minutes. She's in the bar not because she's scared of marrying her fiancé, but because she's intimidated by the superwoman of an ex-wife he has. She was the perfect wife. She raised their kids, kept the home, got her own education, and now has a career. Scoffing at how perfect this woman sounds, Dorothy says it sounds more like a commercial for a pad than real life. Nowadays, feminine products are advertised a bit more honestly. But back in the day, your pad or tampon would have you living not only your day-to-day life, but your dream life to the max, thanks to their product. Forget it. I'm not going. Why not? Was he invited? Come on. I'm inviting you. On days like this, special days, more women trust Tampax than any other tampon or pad. You gotta trust somebody. You gotta trust somebody. Tampax, even more than protection. False. It isn't until the woman reveals that the ex-wife's name is Dorothy that we realize that this is Catherine, Stan's fiance. Eleanor Donahue, playing Catherine, is most famous for her role in one of the original sitcoms, Father Knows Best. In her extensive career, she has appeared in Dennis the Menace, The Virginian, Star Trek, The Flying Nun, Gidget Gets Married, The Odd Couple, Different Strokes, Barnaby Jones, Chips, Mork and Mindy, Fantasy Island, Dukes of Hazard, Hotel, Happy Days, The Love Boat, Newhart, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Princess Diaries 2, Cold Case, and The Young and the Restless, among a million other things. She, according to CheatSheet.com, also starred as Andy's crush in the first season of The Andy Griffith Show. But she scandalously quit unexpectedly. Looking back at that time, she said that the reason behind her departure was her mental health. She had just finished her big show, Father Knows Best, which ended actually without a finale. So she was only 23 years old, and she was now a divorced single mother. She eventually realized that some of the lines her character was supposed to say were going to co-stars, and she soon developed an eating disorder. This led to pneumonia and hospitalization. But because she was able to seek help and leave the show, she is still with us and acting on stage and screen. And I wonder, which I hadn't until now, if that was part of her taking the role? Was the pneumonia and hospitalization like kind of a strange irony? Sophia didn't follow doctor's orders and she ended up with pneumonia in the hospital. And back in the day, Eleanor wasn't taking care of herself and was having mental health struggles. And she ended up in the hospital with pneumonia. So people really mess around with pneumonia. I feel they're like, oh, I'm just going to go to work or whatever. Yeah. 
Mm-mm. That's a bad thing. I think it means there's fluid in your lungs. Something like that. Canoe <laughs> is the fluid, and the monia is your lungs. Pneumonia. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about how great she sounds to this woman, Dorothy adds that that woman must also be gorgeous on top of everything else. That's when Catherine serves her a dose of reality. And not really. It's bad enough that the daughter had to get a nose job as she had a honker that she got from her mom. That slap in the face, or the nose, I should say, causes Dorothy to nearly choke on her popcorn. Catherine is all jumbled in her feelings. She's never met anyone like Stan, and she had been so busy having a career she never married. And he's been married thrice. As Catherine goes on about Stan, Dorothy realizes just how much she loves him. Oh, and she does. He makes her feel like a teenager. And just between us girdle friends, he's the best lover she's ever had. Luckily, Dorothy is a pro, and B is a chew-acting genius, and this time she doesn't choke on that comment. Although she does feel pretty certain that that means Catherine hasn't had that many partners. The two don't dig into those comments, and Dorothy tries to offer her some popcorn, but now Catherine's back to her fear of Dorothy. She and Stan are still friends. He talks about her. And if it's to the degree that she's saying it is, that is a bit of a red flag. For all she knows, Dorothy could come to the wedding and profess her love for Stan. Secret Dorothy could come out and comfort Catherine, and they could move on. Instead, she continues to hide her identity and says, that woman sounds too great to do something like that. Sure, she might have considered it at some point, but she would have stopped and thought about the love that was there between Stan and Catherine, and she would have stepped away. After her beautiful and moving speech, Catherine takes a moment, but she's not convinced. The two go back and forth as to if Dorothy will or won't do that, but Dorothy puts her foot down. She was born sometime between July 23rd and August 23rd, making her a Leo, so she is certain that that is how things will go. I could go on about the traits, like being self-assured, that a Leo has, but I thought it would paint a better picture if I named some Leo celebs. Yay! (laughs) I'm sorry. Yay. (laughs) For example, Jennifer Lopez, Kristen Chenoweth, Sandra Bullock, Mick Jagger, Helen Mirren, Meghan Merkel, Barack Obama, Kylie Jenner, Madonna, and my mom. Some highly successful people there. That's right. Maybe follow a Leo. That's some real Leo energy Hmm. to success town. Getting up from the bar to attend the wedding, Catherine asks Dorothy her name. She doesn't give it. She just assures her that they will meet again soon. Okay, another call for some fan fiction. What happens when the wedding is over? They're at the reception or maybe the greeting line, and she is introduced as Dorothy. Will Catherine laugh it off? Will she be pissed that Dorothy let her pour her heart out like that? Or was it the foundation to a great friendship? So, Coco, you had not seen this episode? That's right. And what did you think? It was an above-average episode. It was, I can't remember what the one before it was. It was uh, Scared Straight. Which is another great episode. Oh yeah, that one that one was excellent. So yeah, it was a, it was a dip from that I think, but it was still good. I always love a Stan episode. It always makes me laugh when he int- introduces himself at the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really, I was really touched by the love that he has for Sophia, um, and that Dorothy respects that. Mm-hmm. I really, I really find that quite sweet, and I think it's because of the the sort of odd relationship Stan has with his own mom, that Definitely. weird uh, weird encounter they had in that in that episode. I liked what you said, too, because you were asking or like, oh, it's interesting that he has this relationship with Sophia, especially 
given the toxicity between all of them. And yeah, then when we talked about his mom and when he went to his mom's trailer in the Mother's Day episode Mm -hmm. and she had taken down all of her regular pictures and put up a bunch of pictures of Stan and was like, oh, my perfect child, my baby, whatever. But it was all fake. And so I think you made a really great point that he probably loves that about Sophia, that she will call him out. She will tell him his toupee looks bad. She will tell him his suit looks cheap. It's probably a little too far in some cases. It's a little too blunt, a little unnecessary and bullying. But I'm sure he is drawn to that as a way better version of love than what he got from his mom because his mom was blowing smoke up his ass. About how great he was, right? Like he was yeah, which, yeah, which you should be, but she didn't mean it. And I'm sure he could sense that. So he's like always trying to prove otherwise or live up to that expectation Whereas with Sophia, the expectation was non-existent because he couldn't get worse than what he'd already done, which was knock up her young daughter and was a scuzzy husband. He is different in this episode than, I mean, the first few times we mm-hmm. see him. He's a very different character to me, at least. Yeah. he's He's been kind of smoothed out, softened, mm-hmm. and um, it's not a scam. He knows that there is love there, even with Dorothy, with Sophia, mm-hmm. even with Blanche and Rose. Like... They don't kick him out, even if they roll their eyes or like, oh, what's going on now? But they happily offer to take him shopping. Yeah. To spend a date, just the three of them, you know, so he's not the worst person. So his wedding, he didn't have anyone there except them. So I think there is a lot of love between all of them, even if it's shown in kind of weird ways. It's at least direct, like you said. Um, And I thought the woman who played Catherine, the actor, was so good. I really liked her. I've never seen her in anything else, but. She's almost too sweet and you want to be like, hey, Dorothy, maybe don't be in love with Stan, but maybe break up this marriage. (laughs) Like the way she's talking about how smitten she is with him, then how nervous she is. And he's been married all these other times and he's kind of this smooth operator and she's very naive and hadn't been married because she was focused on her career. So this is like very scary to her. And you just want to be like, it's not going to (laughs) work. He sucks. You deserve better than a claw machine ring, you know. Is it known that if he gets uh, divorced or married again? Oh, I guess you'll just have to wait and see. All right. I'm hopeful for that relationship. I I mean, you know, I feel the same things that she'll just eventually be like, oh, Stan. Yeah. and, And have to leave. But yeah, she seems far too sweet and refined to put up with his nonsense yeah of like i went and bought a car oh hey i don't have any money oh hey i made fake dog poop like (laughs) this episode is all about love how the idea of being in love can cause you to lose all sense of who you are love can leave you unconcerned with others feelings it can have you thinking that someone who has proven over and over and over again that they are so toxic that maybe they're the right partner for you. I think this episode is also about the lack of love. If you aren't loving yourself or appreciating the love you're getting from those around you, you can easily mistake attention, care, or comfort as love. It's okay that Stan showed Dorothy love when she needed it. What isn't okay is to mistake someone's compassion or attention as such. So no, dude, that stripper slash barista slash bartender is not into you. She's just being nice. Besides all of that, it's nice to see that, yes, those feelings of love can be fleeting. Maybe you had a connection with that person when you were out last weekend. Maybe you have noticed a difference in feelings towards a friend. 
It's okay if those feelings go away or change. Just having time with that loving energy can be revitalizing. So as Janis Joplin once said, get it while you can. But don't go breaking up a wedding because of it. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when the girls are yet again in a pickle thanks to the auction. Get it while you can. That's a good one. I like that. Get it while you can. Yeah. Very true. I said, get it when you're going to want to need it, baby. Yeah. My mom says I'm cool. <laughs> I think that's a Millhouse quote. I believe so. A Bob Mackie. <laughs> oh, actually, that would work. I'm going to talk about Cher right here. Oh, did she wear Bob Mackie's stuff? Oh, yeah. It was Carol Burnett and the Cher show that, or Sonny and Cher that really, like, he did all the clothing for both of them. Wow. And that really, like, solidified his everything. Yeah, Cher, everything that's ever been iconic of Cher, that's Mm -hmm. Bob Mackie. I can can see it now. So there you go. That one where she's wearing that, like, kind of bedazzled headdress. I was going to say the Oscar outfit. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, is that when she won? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, a Bob Mackie. The first time? Did she win two? She just won one. I think one. Well, give her two. <laughs> for having the shortest name in Hollywood. That's right. Besides Mick G. How am I doing? You're doing great. All right. If you know what I mean. Beatles? It's like Critters 3 is what it is. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Rizzoli and Isles. What? There was a show about two lady detectives, I think. Are you okay? Ask my mom! (laughs) No, I'm not. Yeah. You know, this will be a good time capsule when we look back on it. When we listen to all of them, once we're done. We listen to them raw. We listen to every single episode. And this will be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Remember that time? Yeah. We were about to have surgery and my mom revealed herself to be my Satan, my actual nemesis. <laughs> Hit it. Okay. I feel weird. I can tell. <laughs> it was your throat, Gerg. Oh, it was me? Yeah. It was. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> My body's a mystery. My body is a mystery. Okay. The first claw machine. Machine. Sound like uh, Scarface. <laughs> Saying machine. <laughs> you want to call it a machine? <laughs> Say hello to my little machine. <laughs> Sick people should not be making food for the group. Agreed. Gerd Bale's lingerie. Oh, I wonder if he did it, if he did, if his watch hand was his two and two hand. If you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give this one two and two. (laughs) Hootin' Nanny. Because you'll always be my sisters. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I have a friend whose favorite food is popcorn and she often eats it for dinner. Hmm. Well. And like razor commercials, you know what you're seeing in those? Pubes.
Did he make the dog poop? Do you have yes. any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, yes, okay. <laughs> I do. Yes, I, I heard all of it and I absorbed some of it. Okay. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.